Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today is wrapping up our Immerse series by heading into what's actually become one of my favorite books, and it's, it's the book of Job. And uh, it's really, a lot of times I was joking with somebody, I'm like, hey, I have an encouraging word for you this week from the, wor- from the book of Job, and they laughed. Because a lot of times, Job, it's a book that deals with a lot of pain, a lot of questions. But if you hang with it, you see the hope, you see the joy, and you see the presence of the Lord in it. So are you ready to dive into this this week? So Lord, we pray for your word. Your word is life. Your word is light. Your word is life-changing. So, Lord, speak to us today. Lord, speak. We are all your servants, and God, we are listening. So use us today to transform us in your name. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So let's look at at, uh, the first 12 verses that set this up. This is the book of Job, chapter 1, focusing on verses 1 through 12. And it says, there was a man in the land of Oz whose name was... Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born, whoa, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. That's 10 kids. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. Verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now before we dive into it, just a little bit of background because there's so much here. And, but a little background, first of all, as we look at the book of Job, this is part of the wisdom literature that we've been in and, and that we've been studying. And so it's a book that's been given to us by God for the purpose of teaching and instructing us about who we are, but also about who God is. 
And remember, wisdom literature, it's not about just information. It's not about being informed. We, ha we have Google who, that can give us more information than, than we could ever digest. But true godly wisdom, this is the definition that we found, and it comes from my ESV study Bible, and I love this definition. Let's read this together. That wisdom is developing the skill in the art of godly living. Isn't that good? Wisdom is about developing the skill. There's a skill in this, and there's an art in it, in the art of living for God. And so here in the book of Job, we kind of have this behind the scenes kind of a glimpse into what is happening, this, this scene of heaven about, uh, about how, how God works and who he is and how he's working in the life of Job. And I think it's really interesting to go, you know, why Job? Why did God set up Job to illustrate something for us here? Well, Job is a very unique person. And again, God, who knows all, sees all, he's looking at Job, and he's saying there's no one like Job because he was blameless and upright. And it also, God also says that, it, that he fears God. And if you remember when, through our study in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord, that awe, that respect, that wonder, that awe, when you really see who God is, that fear of awe and wonder of the Lord this is the foundation of all of our wisdom. And so God is looking at Job, and he's like, there's no one like him. He's blameless, he's upright, and he has this holy fear of God, the foundation of all wisdom. And he even says in, in verse 1, he says that Job, Job has turned away from all evil. How many of you are like, I'd like for God to say that about me? But then you know yourself, and he's like, he couldn't say that about me. <laughs> it's, like, it's, just, it's just a very unique, just amazing person who's just pursuing the Lord. And after this description, we, we see the type of life that Job has, that he's blessed. You know, he has, this, he has amazing family, seven sons, three daughters. Um, he's, he's, he's blessed him with his wealth and his business, which in, in that day, it was the possessions that you had, all the sheep, the camels, the oxen, the, the donkeys. And it even says that his name was respected, that as it related to Job, that this man was respected by his peers as the greatest of all people of the East. And again, this is God describing Job. And so, and so far as it works into this, until we get further, the narrative works out for us. Because see, we have this narrative, we have this expectation that if we do the right things, if we obey God, right, A plus B equals C. So if I obey God, if I follow his commandments, if I go to church every week, and when I'm around Baker Lake, if I go online, then my life is going to be okay. It's going to work out all right. And this is the expectation that we have. Work hard, obey God, lay it out. Things are going to go great. So to this point, it's okay until it's not. Because very quickly, everything falls apart in verse 9. When Satan, the accuser, approaches God and he asks God a question. He asks God, he's like, does Job fear God for no reason at all? In other words, does Job just know how to work the system, right? Right? Job, he's blessed, and he's figured out that if he obeys you, if he seeks you, if he worships you, if he does all that, then things are going to work out. His, his family's going to go well. He's going to have good possessions. He's going to be, 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 be respected, and he's just working the system. And as I was seeking the Lord and studying this, it, in the presence of the Lord, it made me think of my dog, Stanley. And I thought it was Stanley because last year, uh, Stephanie's uncle, who's a rancher down in Nervaza, New Mexico, he came up, and I had my dog Stanley, and I'm like, I've taught him a few tricks, and I can, I can work this out. And I was showing him the different tricks that I taught Stanley, right? Things that are very impressive, like sit, 
lay down, come, go over there. And every time that Stanley did that, I'd give him a treat. And I'd say, good boy. And when I looked at him, expecting affirmation, he said, you're, you're not training your dog, Dwayne. He said, you're just bribing him. You're just manipulating him. He basically said what Satan was saying to God, that you take away the treat, you take away the obedience. Have you ever been crushed by something so deeply in your heart before? (laughs) In other words, he's, he's asking that same question. You take away the treat, you take away the obedience. Job is just serving you like your lapdog. As long as the treats are there, he's there. In other words, Job doesn't love you, God. Is it possible that perhaps Job just loves the treats? Job Job just loves the affirmation. Job just loves all these good things. But you take away the treat, you take away the stuff, then we'll see the true character of Job. Now, why is this important? Well, this is so important because our relationship with God is not commodity-based. Our relationship with God is not one where it's like a vending machine. They they still have vending machines around, right? Vending machines got me through college. How many know that, okay? Where, I mean, just, yeah, it just, when I missed lunch line or I missed breakfast, I missed a lot of things. You go up and you put in your quarters. And I put in Canadian quarters because I got more value of it back then. And you you just put things in and you get the treat to fall down. And so as long as you put in enough quarters, enough coins, it comes out. And unfortunately, some people think this is their relationship with God. That if you just give enough, if you just pour enough, if you just do the right things, this is how God operates. But see, our relationship with God is not built on commodity. It's built on the fact that God made us. If you want to know what God looks like, look at the person next to you. And whether they're a toddler running around and dancing during worship like some of our kids do, or whether there's someone that came in on a cane. These all reflect the image of God. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, they all reflect who God is. And the Bible says that God made us, that he loves us, and that when we were at our worst, when we were defying God, when we were doing what the Bible calls sin, which is a life that is out of alignment with God, that's when Jesus came and he died for us. And not just died, he suffered for us. He was misunderstood for us. He was mistreated for us. He was lied about for us when we were at our worst. And see, this reveals who God is, how great he is, and how worthy of all praise and all worship because of of who he is. There's none like him. So it's not based on commodity. It's based on this deep relationship that the Bible calls the relationship that we have with God. It uses the same language that we use for marriage, which is a covenant relationship. See, our walk with God, our relationship to God is like a marriage. It's not based on what I can get out of it. If you've ever done premarital counseling, and I've done quite a bit of it for others, but if you ever sat across from either, either the groom or the, or, the, or the bride coming in, and you said, why do you want to be married? Well, I want to be married just so I can get this out of that person, and that person will do this for me every day, and so that he'll bring me my coffee and my toast every morning, which I do. But if you said in front of anybody that that was what they wanted to get out of it, just just to go, I want somebody who can just make my life great. Would you recommend they get married? No. How many have found marriage can be a little difficult at times? Right? 
any relationship can be difficult. But when you enter into it with this expectation that I'm in it for what I can get out of it, you recognize very quickly that only solid relationships, and especially as it relates to our walk with God, it is a deep, sacrificial love because that's the agape love that God talks about. It is sacrificial. I'm not in it for what I can get. I'm in it for what I can give because what I've found is the more that I give, the more it enriches my life and it builds my life and it strengthens me. I don't give to get, but what comes out of that as we walk through our vows? I've said it many times. Part of our vows for, that when Steph and I got married was for better or for worse. I like better, but there has been some worse. For richer, for poor. I like richer, but there's been poor. <laughs> in sickness and in health. I love health, but there's times we've had to care for each other. This is what marriage is. This is what our covenant relationship is. It's different from a commodity-based relationship. It's based on this deep, sacrificial love. So when Satan asks God this question, that he's, he's only doing this for what he can get from you, take this from him, he's questioning the very core of our walk, of our relationship with God. In other words, are people just serving you for what they can get because they know you have everything? And if they pull the right strings, then they're going to get it. He's saying, in other words, you know, Job is just with you right now because everything's pretty imperfect. It's like that infatuation stage, right? Everything's perfect. Life is good. I got 10 kids. I don't know why he wanted 500 donkeys, but he had 500 donkeys. All these things. He's challenging and suggesting that there be a testing. And he's saying, he's saying Job, he's, he's not worshiping the, the giver. He's worshiping the gift. And so he's basically throwing a challenge. Let's take away the gifts. Let's strike him. Let's see what happens. And now this is the point where, in our own minds, if we put ourselves in the life of Job, that we would hope that if someone says, have you considered Dwayne? Dwayne's just, he's just obeying, now, I'm not perfect and upright, I'm no Job, okay? But he's just being a pastor just because you're with him and he hears your voice or whatever, whatever, all those things. He's just doing a pastor because you put him in a cool church like Shoreline Community Church in a beautiful Seattle Take these things away. Make it a little hard. Let's see how Dwayne responds. Now, at that point, I would hope that my heavenly father would say no. I would have scriptures coming up in my mind like, no one touches this guy. This is my son. This is my child. I want to quote Psalm 54 where it says, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. And then I keep going, and I go back to Psalm 3 when it says, but you, Lord, you're a shield around me. You're my glory. You're the one who lifts me high. And then I go to the prophet Isaiah in 54-7 when he says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. How many are like, yeah, that's what I want, right? So do it. There's nothing you can do. God is with me, so no harm is going to come against me. That's what I used to think. And so now we come to this, and God says, no. Let's test Dwayne a little bit. Am I your helper? Yeah. But we're going to test that. Has that ever messed with any of your heads out there? Yes. And that's why we're surprised when we read God's response, when God's response is, 
I'm going to allow Job to be tested. See, Satan couldn't do that, except that God came in and said, all right, let's try this. So God's response is, yeah, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. He agreed to the test. Why are we tested in life? I mean, have you ever just wanted life just to be just like, you know, just like Silverwood where you just go and you're on the lazy river and you're gone the rides and you got the cotton candy and you got the hot dogs and life is just good. Your dog obeys you. Your kids obey you. Right. Well, here's the thing. Tests are extremely important, as I think most of us realize. And the older you get, the more you recognize the importance of tests. Because they're so important because tests don't create character, but it's in the testing that they reveal who we really are. It's like your annual physical, right? Hopefully everyone is going doing an annual physical. I'm due for mine. I'll, I'll, I'll go. But does going to your annual physical cure all of your diseases and your aches and your pains? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, sometimes they're going to actually lean in a little bit to see where those are. So your annual physical with your doctor, it doesn't make you healthier per se. It doesn't cure you, but it reveals where you need help. It reveals where you're strong. There's times I've gone and he said, these, these things are strong, but over here he's like, these things are weak. And sometimes we're surprised. I've been surprised at times after eating good for the day before to find out that my cholesterol was still a little higher than it should be. And the doctor revealed it and said, Dwayne, at this point, you can do two things. I can medicate you, or you can have some discipline in your life and stop eating chips. And I said, let's try the discipline, see how that goes. It revealed something. They show if we prepared ourselves. They, they, they show if we're ready for it. See, hard times, it strips away the surface stuff. It strips away all the pretense. It reveals who we really are. But we don't like tests. Tests make us anxious. And there are even times that, have you ever gone to a test where, like, you're, man, I am prepared, I am ready, I've gone in, I'm going to ace this thing, and you walk out thinking you aced it, and then you got the result back, and you went, what happened? It reveals, and we, it shows us where we're strong, where we're weak, what needs to be worked on. And as it relates to God, this is where it shakes many people to their core. Because we don't recognize that God is not just out just to put a little, he's not working a numbers game. He's out for complete transformation, complete restoration, complete reconciliation to God that we walk in his power and his might because the only hope for the world that we are living in that is broken, beautiful but broken, is men and women and children that are completely transformed by the power of God and they're walking in his strength and his power, trusting him, trusting what he sees, trusting that we don't see it all. And that only occurs through Testing. That's why a common response that I've seen from people who have walked away from God or they're questioning God or they've stepped off, they've, maybe you've heard this statement before. Have you ever talked to somebody and they said, I, I tried God, but uh, it didn't work? Anybody ever hear that before? I hear that as a pastor all the time. Everywhere. Pretty much everywhere that I've, I've traveled, I've heard a version of this. 
from somebody who's like, you know, do you believe in God? Do you follow him? Well, yeah, I tried God and it didn't work. And I would ask, what do you mean it didn't work? And it's really hard to get a response from that because when I ask the question, what do you mean it didn't work? They know, oh, this is going to be a conversation now. But for those who have responded, they'll often say something like, well, you know, I tried praying, but I didn't feel God. I prayed for someone I cared about who was sick, and they didn't get better. I prayed for myself, and I didn't, I, I didn't get better. And this, is, I believe, is the essence of the test. See, the essence of the test is it's to test our view of God. In other words, does God serve us, or do I serve God? Right? See, God doesn't work for me. That would be terrible. He is the almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. He is the one who sees all, knows all. Why should he work for Dwayne, who sees this much? I work for him. I serve him. I follow after him. But see, many fall into this trap, and And they even pretend to serve God as long as he performs. And I've used this illustration before where they put one foot in the boat of God, but then they've got one foot over here in the water because they see enough of God to know he's he's awesome, but yet they want to have their own life and they want to lead their own life. Have you ever stood in a boat like this for very long? Have you ever stood in anything for this for very long? You get on a step and you put one foot here, one foot here, and put equal weight, you're going to fall. It doesn't work. You're either all the way in the boat or you're going to fall all the way out of the boat. There's no halfway. There's no halfway. And God is not a vending machine where if I just put a quarter or I just tap or if I, just, if I Venmo him enough money, then I'll get what I want. It is about true change, complete transformation, And in this process, just like everything you want to do, you will be tested. You want to go after a trade, you will be tested. You build a building, there's going to be an inspector that's going to come along and test it and go, is this right? And the people living in that building go, thank God somebody inspected this place. Right? Because it makes it safe, it makes it strong, it makes, we, we know that it's there. We need this. So this is where we find Job. Everything's great. Let's see. Let's see the core of this. So test number one. Test number one comes along. This is family and fortune. Job was a blessed man, as we talked about. He has all these things, all these possessions, and a family. And the test is, will you serve God if you lose your family and you lose your fortune? In other words, is God more important than your family or your wealth? So Job... He lost all of his wealth. The raiders attacked, and the Bible tells us that fire fell, and it destroyed all of his possessions. And then Job lost his children. That's a tough one. It says, a great wind came across the wilderness, and it struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they died. See, either of these would get most of us. I don't know how... I hope how I would respond. But these are difficult. But Job's response in all of this, the Bible says that Job's response was he worshiped. Now he mourned, 
He rose. The Bible says that he, he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he mourned in the midst. Mourning is important because we don't ignore it. He didn't ignore it. He mourned it. But then the Bible says that he worshiped. It says that he fell on the ground and he worshiped. And he said this. He said, he said naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. He saw it. life is just a vapor. Naked I came, naked I leave. And then he said, the Lord, the Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. He passed the test. Job, he passed the test. And it says in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. See, in, in response to Job's response to the first test, God said, there's none like him. He said once again, he's, he's blameless, he fears God, he turns from evil, and he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. So he's saying, Job passed. Great job, Job. Next one, kind of give a little bit of applause for Job right there. It's a great job. That's test number one. But then test two was his health. See, his first test, it was hard enough, but now it's getting deeper. And in the second test, he goes after Job's health. It says, Satan answered the Lord, and he said, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And what does God do? He allows it. He allows it. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Here's how bad it was. In verse 8 in chapter 2 it says he took a piece of broken pottery just to scrape himself. He's sitting on an ash heap. See, ash heaps in that day were outside of the city. That meant you were an outcast. So Job went now from being one of the greatest, one of the most respected people in the East, wealthy, family, everything's ticking for him, where now he is covered with sores. He's outside the city, he's in a, and he's sitting down on the ground, scraping sores. And if that's not, wor- not bad enough, the one person left in his family, his wife, goes to him and says, do you still hold fast to your integrity, Job? And she says these words. She's like, just curse the Lord and die. Be done with it. Curse the Lord. He has left you. This is his wife. And see, we can judge the wife from where we are, but I think it's important to recognize that Job's wife, she lost her children. In that day, your wealth was connected to your husband. She lost her wealth. She lost her position. And now with his health being gone, in her mind, now we've lost the opportunity to even rebuild it. You can lose everything, but you're one of the greatest men in the East. You can rebuild this. You've got a lot of friends. You can get going. But when his health is gone, in her mind now, she's like, we've lost the opportunity to get rid of all this. And so once again, he's in this place of being empty, failing. Everything's gone. He's scraping his skin. His wife comes up and says, enough. Just curse the Lord and die. Be done here. What does Job say? He speaks to her and he says, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And it says in all of this, Job, he did not sin with his lips. 
he passed that test. I get a backache, and I'm like, dear Lord. But not Job. Outcast, lost everything. His wife says, curse the Lord and die. And he's like, you're, you're, you're being foolish. He passed the test. I'm going, yeah, there really is no one like Job. He passed the test. So now he's on this ash heap. He's lost everything. He's there. And then Job's friends show up. Remember his friends, those of you who've gone in? And I, and I, and I put friends in like quotes. I was going to say air quotes, but it's on the screen. Job's his, his friends, they show up. So after this, three of his friends show up, and they start off well. They sit with him. They mourn with him for seven days. And seven days is important back then. That was like if you sat with, with, with your friends and you mourn for seven days, I mean, you were a good person. Can you imagine? You're sitting out there, and for seven days, three of your friends show up, and they just sit with you and mourn. That sounds like pretty good friends so far. But then after seven days, when that didn't work, we came out, we sat, we mourned. It begins to fall apart for his friends. And Job begins this giving up by, by saying in, in, in chapter 3, 11, he says, why did I not die at birth? See, we have this long poetic session of just Job. He, he, he begins just to go, man, I, I mourn the day that I was even born. Everything's taken away. I'm suffering. What's the point? Why was I born? And now this leads to the main part of the book where Job's friends, he's turning, the friends move from comforting Job to questioning Job, right? There's a difference in asking a question and questioning. Anyone who's taught elementary kids knows this, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's, there's asking a question, but then there's, there's the questioning behind it. And this is where they go. See, when our questions go unanswered, we move from this place of just asking a question to questioning why does this need to happen, and it's important to recognize that his three friends, they represent the very best in Near Eastern thought about God. These were smart people. They've sat with him for seven days. They've walked it through. And when things don't start working, they begin to debate between chapters 4 and chapter 25. And the debate takes place where Job's friends, they begin to question Job with this basic assumption. Because they were operating out of this assumption with God that if you do everything right, things will go well. Yeah, you, you may hit some hard times, but when you stay in that hard time, then obviously, Job, there's something wrong with you. There has to be sin in your life. This is judgment. Because if you acted wisely, if you put enough coin in, if you did things right, yeah, you may get sick, but God's going to bring you out of that. And so they begin to call on Job to admit that he was wrong. They begin to put pressure on him to repent and to return to God to be blessed. And we, we see this in Job 4, 7, 8. One of his friends says, when have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. And in Job 8.20 it says, God will not reject a person of integrity, nor will he lend a hand to the wicked. And in Job 11, one of his friends says, if only you would prepare your heart, lift up your hands to him in prayer. Job, get rid of your sins, leave all your iniquity behind then your face will brighten with innocence and you'll be strong of fear. In other words, Job, something's obviously wrong because you're still here. You went from the top of the mountain to this ash heap outside. When will you just give in and confess you've done something wrong? And Job's response is, I, I, I'm innocent. 
He's, he says, this is not judgment from God. And in chapter 31, Job gives this one final and this long protest because he's had it now. I've lost everything. I've lost my health. And I have these friends that are just trying to peer pressure me into admitting to do something that I, didn't, I feel like I didn't do. And he says in Job 31, 35, he says, if only someone would listen to me. Look, I will sign my name to my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Now he's addressing God. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. He's like, I would face that accusation proudly. And he says, I'd wear it like a crown. And he says, for I would tell him exactly what I have done, and I would come before him like a prince. It's pretty strong words. But again, tough place to be in. You believe in God. You believe you've done nothing wrong. You've lost your kids. You've lost your money. Your wife said, curse the Lord and die. And now these three friends who sat with you, they're turning on you. And you're in the ash heap just scraping your skin. What do we do with this? Well, it's at this point that a fourth friend, this has been a fourth friend off to the side, Elihu shows up. And Elihu is younger. And because he's younger, the, this passage, it shows that he's, he's shown respect to them by just quietly listening and just waiting to kind of have the last word. You know, one of the things I tell you in leadership is you don't want to be the person with the first word. You want to be the person with the last word. <laughs> this is Elihu. Elihu steps in. And the first thing he does as he, as he speaks up is respectfully, he condemns the three friends. He says in chapter 32, verse 12, he says, I've listened, talking to his friends, he says, but none of you has refuted Job, and none of you have answered any of his arguments. That's the first thing confronts the friends, but secondly, he confronts Job. He goes to Job and he's like, Job, you've spoken in my hearing and I've heard your words. Job, you said, I am pure, I am without sin, I am innocent, I have no guilt. But Job, you are wrong. He said, I will show you why. For God is greater than any human being. See, Elihu is pointing out, he's like, although these guys, they falsely accused you, they haven't answered your questions, and they're wrong. But when you say you're without sin, there's no one without sin. I don't care who you are. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And this is what he's saying. And basically what he's saying, he's saying, you know what, Job? I don't know why this is happening. I'm not going to make things up. But you're not without sin. Does God love you? Yes. There's no one like you, sure, but everyone has sinned. Every sinner, raise your hand. I'm, I'm raising two. And then Elihu, he ends by pointing to the greatness of God. He says, truly, God will not do wrong. <laughs> okay? Your friends, your wife, yes, you're in sin, but God is great. And he says, the Almighty, he, he, he will not twist justice. And I believe in this, that Elihu, he offers this great model for situations like this where he listens first, right? And then he responds respectfully, right? It's the old adage, like, it's hard to listen to somebody who's shouting at you, isn't it? Right? <laughs> Someone's just shouting. They can be saying the truth, but you're like, it's hard to listen to a mean person. And he addresses the real issues. He doesn't just push things to the side, he addresses the real issues in all of this, his issues 
and, and the, he ultimately gives glory and respect to God. I don't know what's happening, but God is worthy of all worship. Isn't that a great map for us? Man, if we would just respond in that way. But I want to end by looking at how God responds. You ready for how God responds in this? I love this. See, God responds because God's been, he's not absent, he's there, all this is playing out. And then he responds because remember earlier, Job demanded a response from God? He said, let the Almighty answer me. I would face his accuser proudly. And then God comes in, and I would say, be careful what you wish for. Because God shows up, Job 38.1, it says, then the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. We often see this in Scripture that when God shows up, it's like this mighty wind that comes in. This is not just a gentle breeze that you're sipping your, your lemonade to, okay? This is a whirlwind coming in. And God says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? And then he says something. He says, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Wow. Do you feel the weight in that? Who's questioning me? Who's being ignorant? You better brace yourself because I'm getting ready to respond here. And it's at this point that Job, he, he takes him on this amazing tour, tour of creation about all the things that are happening that Job has no idea is happening. And in Job 38, God begins by asking questions. See, God is the ultimate question asker. And he asks us these questions just to kind of open up our eyes. And he says, Job, were you there when I laid the foundations? Tell me, if you know so much, who determined its dimensions? Who stretched out the surveying line? What supports the foundation? Who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and, and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to arise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath the seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas have come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know the gates of death are located? Do you know where they are? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? And then God says this. He says, but of course, you know all this. <laughs> I, I, I laugh as I read that. Of course, you know all this. You questioned me. You wanted to sign something. You're the one with this that you, you'll wear it like, like a prince with a crown on your head. For before you, were, before you were born, before it was all created. And you are so very experienced, Job. <laughs> I laughed harder at Job's response. Job's response is, I will cover my mouth. <laughs> he says, I am nothing. How could I find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. Have you ever been in a meeting where you're like, I've said too much? <laughs> he said, I have nothing more to say. But God continues. He's like, no, it's just too late. He's like, I have, I have some more questions for you. And he continues to go, and he, he describes beasts, and he describes all these things throughout the world. Why does, why does God do this? 
what is God trying to do in this moment with Job? Does he still love Job? Yes. Does Job need a lesson? Yes. And one of the biggest things that God is doing in this moment is he's trying to give him the lesson of perspective. Everyone say perspective. Perspective. How many know when your perspective is off, everything's off? You lose perspective, the company's going down. <laughs> you lose perspective, your family's going down. You, lo- you lose perspective on who you are, who God is, and where you are. It changes everything. I mean, one of the, I think one of the biggest ways that we lose per- perspective is during football season. <laughs> right? How many armchair quarterbacks are out there? And you're like, I can't wait to get in my chair, get my popcorn, my hot wings, whatever it is that you have. And you sit back, and we have all the answers. Why did you throw the ball instead of running it? We would have won. Now, I think most of us are in agreement on that. But, but see, when we're sitting in an armchair, we have all the answers. But when God moves you from the armchair to the field, your perspective changes quickly. And I recognize I'm not ready to be a quarterback. I grew up playing hockey, but the Kraken will do better without me on their team. Because I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I don't know what they know, so I can sit at home and say all the things I want to say. But when you get on the field, when you start seeing things, when you start experiencing things, if you took every armchair quarterback and you put them across from any defensive line that was looking them in the face, I think your opinions would change. See, God in all of this, he's revealing how great he is and how small we are. That he doesn't work for us, but he invites us to trust him and to serve him. To walk with him. And that neither life nor death, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Because here's the thing, whatever happens to me in my life from here, any bad things that happens to me, I deserve it. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I have not been perfect. I don't deserve any of the goodness of God. And neither do you even though I love you. God sees all. He knows all. And in the middle of it, he invites us to trust him, to be transformed because we can only do his work as we firmly put both feet in the boat and I don't care what storm is taking place. I don't care what rises around me. I don't care how this boat falls apart. I am staying with you and I am trusting you no matter what. I can't be bought off. I can't be sold off. I can't be manipulated. I'm going to follow you no matter what. Do I have questions? Yeah. We've all experienced tough stuff. But here's the thing. When you're in a dark room with no light, your only way out is to trust the only person who has the light. Only God has the light. Why would I follow after somebody that's just pretending? See, God, he's he's inviting us to trust I mean, this was the word that Jesus gave to his disciples when they were scared. They didn't understand. They thought Jesus would come in and just destroy all their enemies. And he's like, no, the biggest enemy is in you. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I've told you all these things so that you may have peace. And he kept saying this. He's like, look, in this world, you will have trouble. But he told his disciples, take heart. I've overcome the world. Are you ready to get in the field? Are you ready to experience the fullness of life? Are you ready to do the greater things that only come as you completely and totally give your life to to the Lord? That's why James, speaking to an audience of people that were scattered, that were being persecuted, James looked at this persecuted people, and he said, consider it all joy when you find troubles of any kind. When they come your way, consider as an opportunity for joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, and you need endurance. It's a long road. This is not a short walk around the block. You need endurance. So James says, let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be what? Perfect. You will be complete, needing nothing. You ask God for patience. What does God do? He brings you opportunities to develop your patience. You ask God to be strengthened. He's going to bring along some heavy stuff for you to lift. Say, God, save my family. He's going to give you some sleepless nights when you're praying for him. He's going to give you some tough conversations. He's going to give you times when you've got to walk through with patience and loving and walking through uncompromising. Because the minute you compromise and say, well, God didn't really say that, you're, you're stepping out of the boat. And before your foot even comes down, you're out. That's our biggest dilemma. See, God promised that he, he, he will restore. And the end of this, I know I've gone long today, but in the end of this, God, he, he, he restores. Because Job, his response to God, he, he humbled himself and he repented. He said, God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He, and he says, you know what? I despise myself and I repent. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. And when we do that, everything turns. God comes in. He rebukes his friends. (laughs) He says, essentially, your friends are wrong. They've spoken of me things that are not right. And he restores Job. He actually gives him back more than he had before. Again, this is not working the system. It's not humble yourself and, and re- repent and then pull, it, pull your app. Is my bank account bigger now? That's not what we're talking about. More with God is transformation. I've met missionaries and pastors on the fringes of society with nothing that are richer than anybody I've ever met downtown in the highest corporate buildings because their life is for God. I don't need much. I need God. I want my family to serve Him. I want this body of Christ to serve God. I want the city around us to look at us and see people that we're just serving the Lord. We're people that really do want to die to ourselves and live for God. And when we mess up, we confess our sins to one another. We live generously with each other. 
to missionaries, to local works, to whatever it has, giving our time, giving our talent. We're pouring into the kids in this community so that they would know God. Amen? Amen. So as we stand and respond today, just a few questions, and I, I invite you again. Stand if you can. If not, just sit and listen to the Lord. We're going to just take a few moments to respond. And I, I think struggles reveal where we need some attention. So ask yourself today, as, you, as you've listened to Job, as you've walked through, where are you struggling today? Where is trust difficult for you? Where does your perspective need to be corrected? In order to get new glasses, you've got to go to the doctor and let the doctor take away your old glasses and give you some new glasses. That's what God wants to do. I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come up because we need to take some steps. We've got a prayer wall. You can go over. You can write it out. You don't need to sign it. We have communion that we do every week. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. He said, every time that you eat or drink, remember, take the bread. I died for you. I suffered for you. When you guys were pretty rotten, I died for you. And it's not a way of rubbing it in. It's a way, it's an invitation to say, would you receive this? Would you confess your sin? Would you humble yourself? That's what communion is. And just take it, the bread and the cup. Confess your sin to the Lord and allow his healing to fill you. Let's respond in some way. Let's allow the Lord to fill us with his light. So Lord, I pray for us, all of us today, Lord, as we stand before you. Lord, for those invitations to trust when you speak to us and it doesn't make sense, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have lives that are, that are thinned out so that we can hear you. Remove every distraction to your voice, I pray. And help us to tune in to hear you, to know you, and to walk with you, I pray. And everyone said together. But let me encourage you that as you walk through this week, the Lord's going to begin to reveal to you things that are confusing you or blocking your voice that he's saying it's time to put that to one side so that you can hear me and walk with me. Trust him in the things you let go of so that you can lay hold to the things of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thanks for being here today. Here's our benediction. Let's say this before we go today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. I love you all so very much. God bless.